Warning, Supernatural The Crossroads contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Welcome, everybody, to Supernatural The Crossroads. I'm your host, Thomas Cowley, and joined with me today is Michael Flores. Hello, Thomas. And Ryan is not here because I made us switch the date for my own personal greed. Yeah. It's or, actually you know, not Ryan's fault for one. It's not Ryan's fault. I will take the blame 100% on this one. But today, we're talking about Supernatural Season 14, Episode 7, Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> Or also on on human nature. That was the original title, dude. It really was. As you started this episode, yeah, it felt one hundred percent like that. But this episode was a really big gut punch as far as emotional elements were concerned. We had some really high moments, and what really matters within human nature be on display, yeah. be the primary focus, and some really dark stuff juxtaposed between that. Which, I, which I really like how they're making the titles matter matter and yeah. that's something that I love when TV shows do that and Supernatural has never they've done a few titles here and there throughout the run that means something to the story but this is I believe what three episodes in a row now where the titles directly connected to uh, the story in some way poetically they're using titles that are that are that work in tandem with what they're actually saying in the yeah. story that week. And each one of these episodes has been that. Yeah. Stranger in a Strange Land, we have Michael's introduction. Gods and Monsters is Michael talking to monsters, and he might as well be a god. The Scar with Dark Kaya's introduction, Mint Condition with the action figure. Yeah, and Scar was another one of those those titles that could easily be attributed to being poetic because yeah. of the emotional scars For that Dean were left. Well. Yeah. 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 I mean, so much of it has been on point. It, it is nice to see that. But this episode, goddamn, man, did it, did it fluctuate between, in a good way, did it fluctuate between emotional highs and emotional lows? What a smart way to write an episode. It was very well done. To see Mark Pellegrino return to the show in this way with this much narrative importance was kind of shocking to me. We all kind of thought... Is this the first time in a long time where the actual meat of the narrative was on his shoulders? Mark I think Pellegrino. So. I think so. For a long time. His stories what pushed not only the, the the main narrative of this episode, but I would even say the myth arc the of the season. Arc, which is a huge what if conspiracy theory realm that we're going to go down later in the discussion. But, but yeah, that's some straight fucking confidence that the writers have with Mark Pellegrino. And it's about fucking time. Well, this would, guy's wouldn't been you at this well, point? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, we always get those moments that are awesome. 
yeah. when he's playing Lucifer. Season but, 13's finale. Yes. And there's and and I think it's something to be said where they're giving him a, a big chunk of the story this week and he's playing not Lucifer, he's playing Nick, mm-hmm. a regular person. And, and I that's feel like huge. It's huge, and I feel like that's the reason why some of those scenes were so disturbing to me. Because when do we ever see a real person killing real people? It, not often. And it's something that we've talked about within Supernatural for a long time. The fact that in many ways humans can be the worst thing that's out there, even more so than the monsters. I mean, we talked about that a little bit in season 13 with Breakdown, where the people who are dissecting and selling body parts yeah. are humans. Mm-hmm. The monsters are buying food from the market. You know, they're doing what monsters do to survive. Yeah, right. We've talked about that. Yeah. And, and the fact that the Michael human elements was disturbing and it fits with the theme, not not this theme necessarily, but Michael's mantra that mm-hmm. monsters are the ones whose whose motives are pure. They're the ones who know what they want and go after what they want. Humans are messy, liars, deceitful, cheat. That's some great insight. Right? It's all That's, kinds of shit. Yep. And it's it comes to life proven in this one with Nick as the example. And there's no other main character at this time that would really fit that. Rowena and and Catch Wall, you know, not exactly lawful good, you know, have gray, no gray longer characters ha, are no longer in the black, yeah. I would say. So, yeah, kudos to Mark Pellegrino to carry that episode which was dark and sad all at the same time yeah and wait what a way to fool the censor boards as well because right i don't think supernatural has been that disturbing in a very that long violent. time i mean there's those classic bloody scenes and the, the gouged yeah. out eyes that i think a lot of us have become callous Rather to callous because to. we've seen it for so many years but then you you have a scene like we had this week with nick and 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 what he's doing to these regular people and with a hammer of I, all things i was shocked like holy Fuck, we just saw that dude get bashed in the head. Uh, and still be alive. With, yes. Not cut screen. Which is even worse. Not blood spatter and, and nothing. We see him be, al- he's still breathing, still and conscious. dying on the ground. Fuck oh. that, man. Yeah. We'll, we'll way get into way that. to bring it. Jesus Christ, though. We'll get into that. Um, but yeah, Mark Pellegrino held the episode. But that doesn't take anything away from Jack and Dean and Sam and Cass this episode. Seeing Jack dying and what no and and no one has any idea how to fix it was surprisingly human. Again, feeding into the title of this episode, I loved that part. Uh, it reminded me a lot of. I first thought it was going to be a Meredith Glynn episode based on how it started. Yeah, because there was so much of a human element, a sad, somber element to this. But then again, it just does. It does fit back into. The theme of the season, fear. And it's in different ways we're seeing different aspects. All of our characters are playing out that theme. With what scares them to some degree. And this episode had little touches throughout of that with Sam and Castiel's conversation, which for anybody who's a parent had to be a fucking gut punch because it was to me and I don't have kids. It was hard to watch. Yeah. But seeing Dean get to be paired up with Jack, get to be he really is when he has that one-on-one time with somebody was great and beyond all of that emotional stuff this episode also introduced a few concepts and ideas into the main myth arc that are really fucking interesting having to do primarily with the empty a place that we knew we would revisit this season 
but not in exactly into which capacity. Spoilers, obviously. So if you're listening to this, you're insane because we're going to get into oh, it. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> you got to watch the episode because we have a tease of possibly Lucifer rising from the empty. Yeah. Or possibly a cosmic entity or something else that we're going to get into here shortly with our discussion that we think would perhaps be the most interesting. But the the very obvious clue is that it is Lucifer with those red eyes. Those are iconic to the se- the series. Yeah. I it's think, always been Lucifer. I think most of us are leaning on that yeah. side of the fence. And it makes sense because it's occurring when Nick is praying and we know that somehow entities not the cosmic one but but beings can speak through through prayer or faith what have you to the cosmic to the empty somehow that's how jack did it with desire prayer wish yeah. to wake castiel something about nick's bond with lucifer seems to have severed that tie a line into that dimension or somehow. something could be assisting it or there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot of what ifs and it's so fun to have an episode like this again where we're like okay questions <laughs> questions that are presented the right way not I love it. what the fuck are the shadim are they going to matter right but holy shit is that lucifer is that an entity what's is he alive is he coming back what and i'm excited to ask these questions yeah i was giddy when i was watching this with all the new lore potential and no matter what way that goes though that was fucking cool. That scene is just macabre as fuck. Yeah. Really well done. Intimidating on an already emotional episode. Just, it was fun. It and, was. And, and the truth is, we don't have a lot of news this week. It's the Christmas season. It's the holidays. Everyone's kind of winding down, going on vacation, getting slammed in the ass at work, speaking personally there. Getting drunk off uh, spiked eggnog. Mike's, right? Mike's speaking personally there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really where Ryan is. He's I'm off getting drunk. I put my eggnog. Oh. No. No way. Does anybody drink that? What, eggnog? Have you ever known someone actually drink that? Maggie. My, really? My wife does. Um, and you're still with her. And that's pretty much, I honestly, I don't know a lot of people in my life that drink. You know what? My son's mom, too. So maybe there's a, a thing going there huh. with the, the women I date. <laughs> you do like the crazy women? Maybe you're like, give me some eggnog. <laughs> I've tried it once. It wasn't for me. It's weird. Anyway, random tangent, but we don't have a whole lot of news with the Christmas season coming around the holidays. So we're going to get straight into discussing this episode written by Brad Buckner and Eugenie Ross Lemming directed by John F. Showalter, Dean, Sam and Castiel call on Rowena to help with Jack's worsening health. Meanwhile, Nick continues his murderous hunt to find his family's killer. So let's start with let's let's skip straight to dessert and get to the fun part of this episode and that had to be with nick's vengeful not vengeful just fucking depressing sociopathic murder spree because some of it we the first couple that we've seen the first few episodes he was in he has a direct drive he has somebody who's going after deliberately his neighbor who lied to the cops. You could see his anger. You could understand his anger at that point. It's the complicated nature of his emotions. I find the most interesting because for so many years he has been essentially Lucifer and he was kind of like a one trick pony. 
Right. He, he was a little one-dimensional, although Mark Pellegrino played him so fucking well. I mean, and he I think, got more well-rounded as the season yes, went on. Yes. But in the beginning. But now we're getting this whole different version that has emotions and, and not fake emotions and not emotions that are solely about him. And who's going to love me? You're mm-hmm. my son. You're my brother. My father left me. These are more complicated than that. These are emotions dealing with Yet again, loss. They're human emotions. Yes, human emotions, anger, rage, depression, all these things being funneled into a person who's unstable because of what Lucifer did to him and their bond. And that's so perfect because it it does allow us to see clearly how Lucifer was able to so easily manipulate him at that time. Because we – I remember thinking way back and I'm watching like, dude, you know what he is. Why would you say yes to this? Yeah, but you, but you know, in the his devil state, preys on the weak. In his state, it made sense. It's the same thing with uh, Rick Springfield when he played the character in season 12. Yep. Hitting you at that that weakest moment, you say yes to all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was nice to see that come to life, like you said, Mike, in an actual human element. This episode all was about human emotions. So again, with the, with the neighbor, we can understand where he's coming from. But now we see there's a whole lot of darkness within him. That mix of rage, he's enjoying anger, it, sad, sick, sadistic joy out of what he's doing, threatening to kill a girl in the street just yeah. because of the urge. And that's why it's interesting to me, and that's why he that's why he's interesting to me because it's just not uh, it's not. It's not a murder spree for murder spree's sake, and right. it doesn't affect him because, like Lucifer, these people are just ants and he's superior. So killing someone doesn't mean anything to him. These deaths actually bother Nick. He likes it, and it makes him feel good. And that's what bothers him. It bothers him to the point where he's in tears crying begging for lucifer to help him again it's because very, he doesn't want to deal with these types of emotions it's very much a drug it's very much watching a drug addict yeah. you know they know it's terrible they know it's hurting them or not good for them they want to stop but they can't the high the joy the lack of feeling pain is putting them through putting them into a position where they're justifying it yeah, and that's part of being human, though, is having is. having emotions that, for the most part, keep you in check. That's what separates us from the monsters in reality as well. And I love that they're playing with the parallels between Nick and his bond with Lucifer and Sam and his bond with Lucifer at one point and Dean and his bond with evil at one point. And you can see the, the very different direction people that take. They took mm-hmm. Sam and Dean, no matter what rather have that guilt so they can punish themselves they wear it as penance. a as a penance yes whereas lucifer doesn't want it because he wants to continue to do it not lucifer nick doesn't want those feelings he doesn't want them because he wants to continue to do these things and what a what a powerful moment to see somebody who's so broken so fucked up so down in a dark place that they would want lucifer back just to stop feeling, just to – it really it, it reminds me of people who I know who have gone through – suffered through alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. They they just want it back so it doesn't hurt anymore. Just one more drink. That it, – it sounds yeah. odd, but it's true. Seeing how he's so fucked up now that Lucifer's the only part that's missing that, – that makes him feel normal, makes him feel whole because it masks that pain. Yeah. And the entire thing led to some really – interesting 
conversations that we started out before we before we actually started recording yeah. that we were having because on the surface level it seems like Lucifer set some things in motion he had a demon or somebody possess a cop to kill Nick's family so that Nick would be in a vulnerable position to say yes with this Abraxas character now on the surface that seems like okay it makes sense you know it's something Nick didn't want to face Nick didn't want to admit that maybe he's that Lucifer just did it to get him to say yes it was already this terrible thing that was never going to change it wasn't some random person or some act of God or some mistake it was it was deliberately done to meet an end but that at the same time seems a little bit too easy especially when there's so much mystery surround for the right reasons again surrounding this season why do the entire why wait seven episodes yeah for that that's where you have to really start the dissection and realize that there's more going on than just simply oh so lucifer manipulated you know somebody a demon possibly the police officer was possessed in order to get Nick into a weakened state so he can take advantage of him and possess him so that he would say yes. But we're eight, seven episodes in. Why go through all of that mm-hmm. for just this one moment? There's a lot more going on than well, meets the eye. As, because it, it does seem, frank, frankly, who didn't see that coming? You yeah. know, why have the mystery for so long? Seven episodes, three episodes with Nick being a primary focus. Why get to a point where we all kind of guess that, yeah, Lucifer killed your family to fuck you over so that you'd say yes. That works. That makes sense. But if that is – this whole season has been building mystery in the right ways, making us ask questions about what is Michael up to? What are these monsters up to? How is Dark Kaya involved? What is she going to do? That seems anticlimactic. Yes. And I think the biggest clue, which I both – it is kind of a reason I don't like the constant – discussion with the showrunners and the writers talking to reporters and us getting previews beforehand because we know for a fact Michael is not the big bad this Mm -hmm. season we're seven episodes in coming up on the mid-season finale this is the biggest clue to where they could take that storyline have it be reminiscent of the old but also new and interesting and have it be a big bad that we can all get behind and make sense yeah I'm putting all my money on black um, uh, 17 black. Uh, yes, I'm putting it all on black. I'm willing to bet that this was our first introduction into who or what will be the actual big bad of this season. It's the setup for the myth arc. And it makes sense because the events and, and it works in a way that Kripke, in my opinion, truly was the best of the showrunners at the events of the previous season lead into the events of the following season, not because of the last two episodes stapling things together, but because of what was going on throughout the seasons, what has been led and and built upon over time. With Lucifer at the end of season 13 be, being taken out and building into this new thing. Now, the myth arc of Lucifer has kind of been done. We've talked about that. They're not done again to death. Yeah. And with him dying at the end of season 13, it feels way too early on to bring him back. If that's truly just Lucifer classic. Now there's one of two routes. We believe that they could go down that would work to make it more interesting. One that is personally a lot more interesting than the other. The first though is I think 
Luc- if it is Lucifer, because that seems to be the I think low-hanging Luc- fruit. I'm thinking Lucifer is just a byproduct of the return of some or the the emergence of a new big bad. And the question I feel that we could pose to the audience, Thomas, mm-hmm. is is Braxis the big bad of the season? They put a lot of emphasis on that name. And real world lore suggests that the writers could be setting this up. The name Abraxas is closely associated with the term Abracadabra, Lord of all the heavens, and was later connected by the Catholic Church because this is what they do uh, when they want to take away any type of sovereignty mm-hmm. that could take away any type Erase of sovereignty any other, from their God. Yeah. Uh, they later connected the name to demonology. Now, there is an article I found, and I know the lore buffs are going to love this because I know Rub you and out. I were just, we were jerking in here L- in the studio. Lore whores. The yeah. lore whores are about to get erect the lore ch- or wet. The lore whores were manipulating each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, Everybody's no, just community circle jerking yeah. right now. Now, Thomas, I do have an article there, if you don't mind pulling it up. Yeah, yeah, I got it here. And it will help shed some light on who Abraxas could be. The word abracadabra is commonly used in magic shows, just often just before a rabbit is pulled out of a hat. The root of the word, however, may have come from the name of the Gnostic god Abraxas, the supreme being. According to Gnostics, the term is magical and represents infinite power and possibilities. Abraxas is a mystic word made up of Greek letters. It is referred to as Abraxas in some sources, which may have been the earlier spelling. Now, really fast footnote here. It's very similar depending on where you're reading and what sources you're reading from, I should say, very closely connected to Yahweh. Now, they're very different. Yahweh meaning being the name of the Jewish God as well as the Christian God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they are connected in the way that they are supreme beings with names that cannot be correctly pronounced. We're not quite sure how to pronounce them. So that's why the Catholic Church decided to turn Abraxas into something more evil and threw them into the lexicon for demonology because they didn't want anything competing with With Jesus Christ. Right, with Yahweh, yeah. Right, and again, the whole, if you've seen stuff like Indiana Jones and even, frankly, Monty Python uh, in The Life of Brian, for more of a pop culture reference, refer to Yahweh, Jehovah, these these ancient names for the one true God. So Abraxas being a, synonymous in some ways on that same de- deity level, mm-hmm. this is old. This is ancient, ancient religious texts, religious beliefs and viewpoints and, enti- and entities, really. Um, the word, let's see here. Uh, you were right. Yeah. The word was believed to have magical properties and was inscribed on ancient charms and amulets. In the second century AD, the early Gnostics personified the word as their supreme deity. Abraxas is symbolized on ancient talismans as the head of a cock (laughs) rooster on the body of a man with a whip in one hand and a shield in the other. Um, Abraxas may have no root in known speech, according to entomologists in 1891, but was more likely used in a mystic or divine sense. It is uh, positioned that the term may be a combination, uh, let's get into some of the wording here. Abrak and Sax. Abrak and Sax, two Egyptian words meaning the honored or hallowed word that appear in ancient texts, including the holy book of the great invisible spirit 
and the Greek magical papyri, uh, early, an early Gnostic teacher from Alexandria in Egypt gave the name Abraxas to God or the great Archon, the God of 365 spheres or heavens. Yes. Let's focus for each on day that. Of the year. Let's focus on that for a second. Abraxas is known as the God of 365 heavens. Now we can begin to see how they could connect this to the bigger picture or the bigger story of supernatural being the without, multiple universes. Without screwing up Chuck and Amara. This Absolutely. fills that question gap that you, Mike, brought up in season 13 when we first saw a glimpse of the multiverse with Jack and Kaya. Is God the supreme being then? Is Chuck the almighty or is that based on our religion or our universe? Are there other Chucks like there are other Michaels and Lucifers? If we saw that many multiverses and Abraxas in religious history, text, what have you, mythology created 365 different universes. Yeah. This could be a, a linchpin that keeps everything together. Yeah. It's really interesting how this could work out. Now, in Catholicism, it gets even more interesting. The writings of a Catholic bishop became central to Christian theology in the second century. He believed that 365 heavens were created and that the angels from the last heaven then created our world. In his work, he claims the ruler of all 365 heavens is Abraxas. In the 4th century, one of his cohorts, Epiphanes, claimed Abraxas was the being above all things, and he claims that Abraxas sent Christ to earth, not the maker of the world. So we can then go back to what you said, and we can start seeing how how they can introduce this new aspect to With. supernatural lore without disrupting anything yeah. connected to Chuck. Dude, every time, it's I feel like... As a supernatural fan, right, we're scientists trying to discover atoms and molecules because every time we think we broke it down to like, this is the origin of all things. You're right. The atom. It's like, nope, we fuck, learned more. There's subparticles within that. Fuck, there's quarks now. It's like we got, we've got God is something and death is the other half of that universe. Yeah. No, death is an entity of multiple universes and Chuck is also half of the darkness <laughs> within a multiverse spectrum. Yeah. The fuck did I just say? And yet like, none of it. And I know there are fans out there that say, oh, we jumped the shark. I'm like, no, this isn't jumping the shark. Because this is following breadcrumbs. This is founded in real world lore, just like Kripke did with his first five runs, just like Carver did with his four year run. Is that what he did? Four years? Yes. Just like Carver did with his four-year runs, all of this is based on real mythology and real belief. And this would make a lot of sense as well. For another um, element in this episode. Because of the introduction of the shaman, Sergei, who was introduced as a master of hermetic arts, keeping the balance. I, I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this, but keeping the balance and the harmonics of the world in or the universe in alignment. He said that was his his. His purpose, which also fits in with the concepts in season 11 of Chuck and Amara being the light and dark yin and yang. The universe has a balance yeah. in season 13. Billy death says there's it's a delicate house of cards. Things have to be in balance. It all fits together 
over time. When you go back and look at these things, these little clues about where the entire cosmos is founded, what it comes to be down at the fundamental level, mm-hmm. it's about balance. Yeah. And bringing someone into the show, into our universe of Supernatural that is as knowledgeable as this guy means that whatever we are about to face for the main myth arc predates so much of the established supernatural lore that we have seen before. Mm -hmm. The the, the fact that the British men of letters go to a shaman, this one guy and vouch for him when they don't know. And he answers the unanswerable. That's what he's, that's his job. That's on his fucking business card. Like (laughs) that is something that, I don't think we've seen before in any real capacity other than Chuck just saying, hey, here's how things are, you know, and having an exposition fiesta. And look how Sam introduced him as a man of esoteric, with esoteric knowledge and hermetic beliefs. I mean, this is a guy, for, and if you don't know what esoteric is and uh, and hermetic is, it's basically ancient mysticism essentially in a nutshell i'm not gonna we, we can spend two we've yeah. done patreon shows about this well, that's what in we'll connection do this to carver's run <laughs> you know and even though this may be lore that predates anything csbn has introduced in the past and we have seen similar things in carver's run there's a consistency between carver's inspirations and what dab is using as well for his inspirations there were a lot of inspirational cues being derived from alistair crowley and the hermetic order of the golden dawn which we discussed in a patreon, a patreon discussion episode, yeah which is what much of the men of letters was based on uh but these individuals were folks that dedicated their lives to the study of occult tradition alchemy astrology and theosophy so all of these elements tie into each other yes all the potential inspirations that they're bringing that they're using actually connect pretty well and pretty seamless especially between carver's run and dab's run and the thing is, it makes it kind of makes sense if they go down this route because of how they introduced the character of Sergey. It wouldn't be that much of a leap to assume that there was this cosmic creator, this idea of Abraxas. Yeah, be- be- because if the universe is balanced and certain things have to happen a certain way, and we've talked about fate and destiny within Supernatural. And Abraxas was the linchpin that made something happen in this universe that was destined to happen. Just like in the apocalypse world, Sam and Dean weren't born, so the apocalypse was destined to happen. You can see where all this fits. And again, without removing Chuck and Amara's importance. Right. Either. If, if anything, they got to clip their wings a bit now that the world's growing more and more. Because if you have the ultimate being in the all the universes on your side, then really nothing can ever go wrong for you as Sam and Dean. Right. And then suddenly you realize, you know what? These guys will be okay because the Supreme Being is, is on okay their side. Them. So if they do introduce this this concept of Abraxas being the, the, the sovereign deity of 364 some uni- 365 some universes, it would actually create... I would no. Let me backtrack. It would actually raise the stakes for everybody involved in our story this time. Without Chuck being the oh he'll save them at the last minute Deus Ex Machina shit. Yeah, I I feel like this could work if they're going in this direction. Obviously, we we are taking a lot of liberties and and but we do know that the writers have always pulled from real world 
mysticism almost all the time all the time every time all of it all of Kripke stuff all of Carver stuff have always been heavily derived from ancient beliefs now question for you personal question if they bring Abraxas about if this was to be a thing I personally feel like this would have to be something too powerful for them to truly fight there, there can't be a book that one guy wrote about Abraxas where he's like, yeah, get a knife and dip it in, you know, I would be okay dick with blood that. and you can stab <laughs> because nobody's going to get that much. And then you can stab this thing like it has to be something so beyond almost Cthulhu-esque where you can't fight this in a way that you're used to in a way that you can conceive. And maybe he's not even evil. Uh, no, and, I don't want him to be evil, that, that, truly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, let him be a threat because he may... A his, force of nature. His existence, his very presence creates issues and problems. But him himself as that character or entity... Just is. Ju- right. I, I would... It would be interesting to see a bad guy or a big bad who's not necessarily a big bad. I know we Not malevolent. That. Right. Yes. And I know we've had that in the past, uh, just a few short years ago with The Darkness... And I, I believe in the end, I felt like it worked. I know there were some people that didn't really like it because they're like, well, there wasn't really even really a bad person. I'm like, yeah. And yet season 11 was, was one amazing. of the best seasons we had since Kripke's run. I don't think you need the ultimate evil incarnate to be there to represent your big bad. I think you can have a big bad by, you know, the definition of a big bad can still be something that just creates problems. I I, I completely you agree. You get what I'm saying? Yes. Am I rambling or does no, that no, make no. sense? That makes sense. You don't necessarily need the mustache twirling villain in order to have a strong narrative. And a like lot of season 11 and a lot of Lovecraft, uh, writings have this idea of an entity that is so beyond human understanding and and ability to fight against that you have no fight against it abraxas could be that where it's not malevolent it's just a force of nature it just is it determines things it doesn't it's not out to destroy like the darkness who is the destruction to chuck's light and creation and in the in the in the balance element but if abraxas becomes a thing that just is yeah, because with season 11, I, that, what I feel like that's more natural in a way that we don't have to fight the good fight, but sometimes the universe just is the way it is. Sam and Dean won't live forever. Oh, yeah, they will. <laughs> well, if Ryan's theory's right. <laughs> but I, I love that we were able to have these discussions at this point. Again, season 14, and we're like, all right, so the cosmic universe foundational br- blueprint is this, and we're theorizing about this. How many other shows can say that? Yeah. 14 years in when a lot of people. Two years in. Tend like, to, well, yeah. And a lot of times shows when they've gone on four, five, six years, you kind of get what's going to happen. You're like, all right, well, at this point, I know what's going to happen. Right. It's a little predictable. But with uh, with the Supernatural, they, they in this season so far, the fact that they're able to create questions. I mean, like the fact that we're even having this debate right now is amazing for a show that's been on for 14 years. Right. And it does present a lot of questions. Did Lucifer wake up within the empty? Because that's the other possibility, that it is Lucifer. And you know what? I, the red eyes would suggest that it was Lucifer. But, right. But is it a byproduct of something else? Was their bond that powerful? And does that bond have something to do with Abraxas? I would have to say it would because they made it a point to say that Abraxas was present during the death 
of Nick's family. Yeah. Right before Lucifer confronts Nick to possess his body. There's got to be a connection there. Now, they wouldn't, if, they wouldn't introduce the character in any way. It had nothing to do with exactly. it. Exactly. And also, they already explained to us last season that nothing can awake in the empty. That's never happened except for Castiel. Except for Cass because of Jack's power. Now, if Jack's power has created problems, the fact that Castiel has been resurrected, all of these things can work together. Also, the fact that Billy warned them not to go crossing into universes because the whole universe is are like a house of cards, as you, you had mentioned. You don't understand the ramifications. Right. All of these things that we've been hearing for the past three seasons can all lead into the return or the rise of Abraxas, or maybe he's off doing his own thing, and suddenly these little peons got his attention because they're doing things they're not supposed to do. That uh, man, so much of that sounds so fucking cool. Yeah, honestly, I mean, if they even do ten percent of what we're talking about, it could be amazing, and a whole season. Yeah, on its own. Now there are a couple of counterpoints to it, to this entire idea as well. One being that we Castile has returned from the empty, and when he woke, it was he was completely fine. He was in his vessel. He looked normal. He was just on the ground essentially. That's the only thing that threw me off because when we entered the empty, the same mm-hmm. time Castile woke up, Castile was laying down and he stood up. He wasn't a part of the primordial ooze. primordial 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 ooze. Jesus, the primordial black ooze. Right. Whereas Lucifer, if this was in fact Lucifer was coming out of it. So I don't I don't know. I, I kind of got the sense that it was Lucifer and maybe all the dead angels and demons become one of this what become one become one it? with this entity. like a burial ground. Yeah. It could and be maybe that. Maybe we just didn't see Luke, maybe we didn't see Castiel rise from that. It could be we didn't see Castiel in that, you know, skeletal state. And it could be God, the catch so dope. the catch all go-to excuse for why is Castiel's vessel different because it was created by God, like like custom God? built. What do you what do you say? Yeah, apparently. Created by God with this custom built yeah. template. It could have been simply that when they which frankly wouldn't surprise me with how season 13 went. Yeah. When they came up with the idea, they're like, fuck it, we'll just go with it. And Whee! now that they're like, oh shit, let's actually think this through, they realize they had some explaining to do. Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew you were gonna say that. I fucking knew, but yeah. either way, I'm fucking excited. When when that and kudos to the special effects team, Adam on on everybody on the crew, when that, that was so scene was cutting back and forth between Nick and his dark place and seeing that skeletal structure like mold out of like a three D fucking printer, like yeah, just this look like. dark, and then you see the skull all black with the red eyes, the iconic red eyes. That is a great fucking shot that's a great screensaver that thing was just awesome looking but all of that comes from simply where nick is at at this point in the storyline and i love that he kind of remembered what lucifer said or he's like he knew who abraxas was but it wasn't a catch-all memory like it didn't trigger some flashback in any way again we're putting building blocks of mystery into the season you got to come back for next week to find out where we're going to go from here yeah it's not just a flashback 
which they had a couple in here, but I was okay with it because it, it, if you haven't seen all the episodes and you were just catching one, it, it could give you some explanation. Do people still do that? I don't, I don't know. Not these days, really. On a, on a show that's been on for 14, 14 years. years. I'm just going to catch, casually see, catch the most recent what? episode. When I was 15, I saw them uh, promote this. <laughs> you know, I'm now that I'm a 30, I'm going to go to check this bitch out. <laughs> I've got time in, in now. Middle, My life's established. In the, in the middle of season 14, I'm just going to check it out. You're an idiot if you do that. <laughs> yeah, but I, this is this is main myth arc level stuff, and again, this is what Nick's part of the story was. And honestly, th- this has got me really excited, and I'm scared now. And I'm nervous because these are the ingredients of amazing myth arcs. These types of things that are introduced always make or pave the way. For something epic. Yeah. And last season, we didn't have the epic season finale. That we thought we would. Which, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with how it ended. But I'm saying, they're going to be raising the stakes. And, and with a show like this, you got to raise those stakes. Even if this is the, the potential story that could eventually end the show. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to get into our discussion on the remaining part of the episode with Sam, Dean, Castiel, and Jack in just a moment. Live recording of someone when they found out the news that Kathleen Kennedy would in fact be coming back as the king of Lucasfilm. All right, calm down. Wait, everything will be okay. I think uh, Kathleen Kennedy used all those tears to make her her garden grow. Oh, look how vibrant my garden is, honey. Come here. Oh, I used uh, fan baby tears. Oh, that's a fantastic miracle grow. In fact, I'm going to take an actual fan and I'm going to imprison them unlawfully. I'm going to put them next to my garden and it'll be almost like a drip system. You know how drip systems work? How they just randomly water people's yards? Well, I'm just going to randomly have a fan cry. Over my garden. Garrett, <laughs> every time I need him to start crying, I'll share an idea. I'm like, hey, Mr. Star Wars fan, uh, the next TV show we have planned is going to be starring an Asian woman. <laughs> all, right, all right, thank you. That's enough. That's all I need. All right, uh, for the next Star Wars movie, it's going to be featuring two Mexican men. <laughs> Crossroads Videocast is here. Retrospective reviews, discussions, theories, and geek outs, all available when you pledge $10 or more a month to our Patreon account. Same show, just more of it. Head over to patreon.com slash Digital to play. 
Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, DEAL30, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And for your viewing pleasure, six free spicy movies on DVD, plus free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. So go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code DEAL30. Again, that's DEAL30 because without it, no free stuff. That's DEAL30 at adamandeve.com. Hey, everybody. Get more Supernatural The Crossroads every month with the Patreon-exclusive shows. Retrospective reviews starting with the very first season, specialty shows, bonus discussions with additional thoughts and topics, all not included in the regular show. By subscribing, you help us maintain the quality of our show, and it keeps us in the studio. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe. Welcome back, everybody. Supernatural, The Crossroads. And now we're going to get into the second half of the episode discussing Sam and Dean Castiel and Jack's impending death. Now, this episode had so many emotional high points and, and low points. We talked all about Nick's, the the darkness that is so much of his episode. And we're going to come a little bit back to that with the some of the cinematography in this one. But there was a surprising amount of emotional feels in this episode with Sam Castiel and Dean and Jack that I didn't expect going into it. Yeah. It felt so different, just like it felt different for Sam and Castiel, which I think is a deliberate point in many ways. Mm -hmm. The fact that they really were losing a child, all of them, the three men in a baby joke, you know, it really was, this episode with the very beginning, they're all going to the hospital. There's no need for everybody to go. Not truthfully. None of them can do anything. Can you imagine though? One of them saying, yeah, you know, I'm going to set this one out. You guys going to take them. I'm going to watch. I could imagine. I could only imagine Sam staying behind to help other hunters. Yeah. You know, but they all needed to be, they all were family. That's what you do. You go to the hospital and you wait, even if you can't do anything beyond that. And I loved that this, this episode stuck with that fear theme that this season has had so far because who doesn't have that fear of one day being in the hospital helpless whether it's your grandfather your parents the loved one the spouse a, god forbid a child waiting and having nothing that you can do castiel can't do anything with his powers sam and dean don't know any better on what can be done and putting that little bowstring that wrapping around this concept of Jack's dying really did keep the emotions dialed up to 10 because for me, the biggest thing was so much of supernatural's loss. And they talk about this a little bit throughout the episode. Whenever someone's hurt, whenever something bad happens, it's always, we're going to find a way there's always going to be a spell or a book or something we can do. And some 
MacGuffin will show up out of nowhere and help us out. And in this one, they kept it, and kudos to Eugenie Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner, they kept it human to where sometimes people get sick and you can't do anything about it. And it made it feel very real. A, a death, a threat of a death, someone being down and out for the count for this show felt more impactful than it has felt for years to me personally. It was empathetic writing because um, they're, they're trying to do a few things at one time. For example, they're trying to they're trying to convince us or try, they're trying to make us feel the emotions that Sam Castiel and Dean are in fact feeling the fact that he says this is you know we've loo- we've lost loved ones before but this feels different and mm-hmm. when Castiel said you're losing a son i mean the way sam looked he almost lost he it, almost man. lost it and then i almost lost it i was like oh yeah. wow i'm going to actually i haven't cried during this show in Long in at time. least 4 years and now i'm about to tear up but by eliciting those emotions and how different it felt for us they were trying to make us get into the minds of our immediate heroes, Sam, mm-hmm. Dean, and Castiel. And I love when writers can do that. When writers don't just tell us how we're supposed to be feeling, but then they create the correct ambience and tone to actually elicit those feelings, to actually bring those feelings exactly. to the surface so that we can in some way feel. Relate. Yes. Well, and, and, that, and Sam and Dean or Sam and Castiel's moment was a perfect example of that. We're being told what's happening. We know what is happening. We've assumed it since Jack started coughing up blood a while ago. Oh, I thought, that's it, was, never I thought fucking it was just good. tuberculosis. Oh, it's just and, and you have TB a, in the hiv. You have like 20, 30 years of that sometimes. So I thought he was going to be able to live a long life. It's just a violent cold. Is that it? No, he just got full-blown AIDS. He didn't even get hiv. There's, machi- there, there's medicines for that now, right? <laughs> but it wasn't just what we were told was going to happen. We actually feel that twang of of sadness remorse when we see sam react and kudos to jared padalecki for conveying that at that moment that is good giving us enough writing and then letting the actor bring it and the director bring yeah. it to life and i really liked seeing castiel be the strong one for both of them which i felt like nice. a good that was a good change of pace because in a lot of episodes we we see in recent seasons, we've seen Sam and Dean intent on helping Kaz out in some way. Yeah. Because of whatever reason. But it was nice to see a a strong Castiel who is very much in control and, and no doubt feeling the same thing as Sam and Dean. But he's the one playing the the cry on my shoulder type guy. Like, I'm, I'll be here to to keep the straight face and not break down, thereby allowing Sam to show his emotion. And it... It was so powerful, and and I felt like it did so much for Castiel. You know, and I know this is a season where it's not really Castiel eccentric, but these are the types of moments we need from this character to make him relevant to our story without distracting us while he goes on a subplot. Exactly, this is a well crafted story for our character, and another great example of supporting characters supporting Sam and Dean. Right. It's, yes. It's not just hey, they're here and it's fun. Because you notice, again, everyone who wasn't relevant was not even seen. The hustle and bustle of the bunker is silent as the grave right now. Because they weren't necessary to the plot. They weren't 
just there, Charlie and, and Ketch and whomever, weren't simply hanging around. I liked that. It's, it's It feels tighter, more focused than just the, yeah. hey, everyone's here for a fuck fest well, that season 13 was. Well, that's kind of fun, though, a fuck fest. But they're not actually going to have a fuck fest. Right. It's like, hey, we're all pent up a and ready, but edging. nothing's going to happen, yeah. so we're going to go home now. That's the worst. And you're like, what the fuck was this all about then? Why did I get ready and leave the house? <laughs> Why'd I mean, I, what? Why'd I shave down why'd and, and shave? take a shower? Come on. You know, people were prepared for things, and now nothing's happening. I could have stayed prickly. <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking hedgehog. <laughs> Jesus. What are we talking about? But I do, I do like that we keep saying focus. You realize that's a word we have used. Haven't used in two years. I, so dumb. But we've <laughs> used it I don't, countless times throughout this season already about focused writing how everything seemed focused and not just the actual immediate narrative but the tone the theme everything is very focused and that's why i feel so good about this season even though we're early on because even though we've had good starts in the previous two seasons Mm -hmm. or during the previous two seasons going back and watching nothing felt this cohesive right yeah and yeah, again, we talk about the emotional highs. While Sam and and Cass's moment was somber, sad, you know, as is the darkness that was Nick's part of the story, we got some light moments too, some really genuine, good moments, good parts of human nature. We see the the horrible things that humans are capable of with Nick, but in this unhuman nature episode. We see the good things that Jack and Dean getting to spend time together was everything they ever wanted. Both Jack saying it out loud and Dean not realizing it, but but understanding it at the same time. To see Dean give Jack a day like that, a day like he had with his dad, was huge. A huge moment for us as fans I think this I think it'll be a well remembered one. Not only because it it gives us something that we've talked about at length that they they've had this mantra of kind of trying to demonize John Winchester and, and just a few episodes ago talking about how John Winchester was a bad father, but here we have this moment that when he wasn't tormented by the things that plagued his life every single day and we talked about this in the retrospectives on our video cast as well with John Winchester in season one, Sam or uh, Dean and John had a good relationship. And it's like Jack said, those little moments where they get to bond where Dean bonded with his father, he's now getting to experience with Jack. That's huge. I loved seeing that. That was great. It, It did a lot for me. And it, it allows us, it allows the actor that plays Jack. I forget his name. At the Alexander moment. Calvert. God damn, that guy can act. Dude, yeah. right? I mean, he, even he, saying hi to Rowena, I'm like, you charismatic he, motherfucker. That's, that's exactly it. He's charismatic and the lines he delivers are, are he's supposed to be naive and sincere and everything he he does is exactly that. When he's he, fantastic. When he's trying to mimic Dean and he he says oh, yeah. in a very sincere way, just like last season with the whole lightsaber. Oh, and we're going to use lightsabers. You know, when right. he's talking to Lucifer, something very innocent, naive. And then we had a moment like that again in the car when he's trying to mimic Dean and he says, hey, I'm just like you. It just little things Dude, like that, that. Wow. That hurt. Like it like that good. 
it's amazing what they can accomplish with a good actor, with a great actor and a good script. Yeah. Because it does so much. And and I love the point you brought up about John Winchester and Dean and how um, just to show you how intuitive Jack is and how much he watches Dean and he remembers the stories he told him. It was just such a great way to parallel Dean's life with his father yep. and to drive home the point that the reason why this hurts so much is because this is their son. This is their child. And, you know, Dean probably we already know Dean beats himself up over everything. We already know he feels guilty for the way he treated Jack and didn't trust him when he first met him. Oh, yeah. And that's he's going to take that even in seven years. If everything goes over Perfectly. just fine. He's still going to take that guilt to his grave because that's what Dean does. So to see him be able to to uh, see a little bit of himself and Jack and 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 experience something with him like he experienced with his father, I thought was just a great little addition to such a high emotional episode. And it brings yeah. it around full circle. Well, I was going to say, not only that, it it shows us how Dean really is a lot like his father. Jack looks up to Dean, like you said, he tries to emulate his behavior, how he drives a car, what he wanted to go fishing, because that was that favorite moment to Dean. Yeah. And Dean, like John, isn't the best parent. And he's done and said things. And I think just like Dean would carry that guilt of how he treated Jack in the beginning to his grave, we know John carried that guilt of how his boys were raised and what he had to do yeah. in his mind, how he fucked up all the time to his grave. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to see that Dean has become his father, but but better. Yes. In and, so many ways. And really, that's what that's all about. In and a that's lot of, usually what most parents want for their kids. Even if you be were better a decent than father, be different than me. And uh, to to have that moment, I, I, it was one of the highlights of not just this season so far, but. I don't want to say ever, but it, it it just reminded me of those moments that we get between Dean and Sam. Yeah, uh, like uh, in Swan Song, where they yeah. remember all their good times in the car. Yeah, uh, the car is so important to the show. It is a character. It is their true home. It's the true nexus of their family. It's their connection mm -hmm. to their past. And to give Jack what we ex thought would be his send off, and even if it wasn't, I don't think anybody thought Jack was actually going to die. But the fact that they use that car, yeah, to give Jack his his would be send off. It instantly delivers the appropriate feelings to the audience because all of us know the importance what that means. of that car and how symbolic it is. And I love that they didn't go to Vegas or anywhere. They didn't even go really get, five they, miles they, away. They stayed within <laughs> sight of the car. Yeah. Because that is, like you said, that's their house. And Jack being allowed to drive, that's huge. You know? He didn't the, the just drive. He's a driver. The, <laughs> I love that Jeez. part. <laughs> I love yeah, it was that part. funny. He, I, how can that that dude cheesy fucking lines, right? And he delivers. If I was writing this, I would I would erased it like a dozen times. times. Like you know what? That just fucking is so fucking cheesy. And yet this kid can deliver it to where it comes off in a genuine. way genuine. Yes, absolutely. And that shows how good a, a, how a strong director and a great actor can bring life to any script. Truthfully. Yeah. And, and but the thing is that you're right. It did remind me of Swan Song where we see them watching the stars under the car or on top of the hood of the car. That's where they would eat dinner. That was always home before the bunker. And Jack got to experience that with Dean. 
it's a it's a great way to parallel their story to where Jack is now and where they are now. And to see Dean excel as Dean does great when he's when no one's watching and to to for him to really take care of Jack, really show that he cares about him. Well, isn't that what you've said before? It's such a great little tidbit of insight into Dean Winchester when you described what what Sam needs and what Dean needs. And mm-hmm. I, forgot exa- I forgot your exact wording, but you said Dean needs a mission. It, uh, it was, Sam needs a plan. Dean needs a goal, and, roughly. And this is exactly what we saw. Dean does need to take care of someone, to feel know important how, about himself. Yeah. In order to feel needed and alive, he needs to take care of someone. He was like that with Sam. He's mm-hmm. like that with Charlie. He's like that with anybody that enters his life that he cares for. He will take care of him. Yes. He will struggle and die trying to make sure they, they are taken care of. And, and I, Go ahead. No, go ahead. That was it. And in this episode, we see that Sam needed a plan. He's calling Rowena. He's looking into getting a spell done. He's working with Castiel because his plan is I'm going to help Jack. And Dean needed a goal, which is I'm going to make Jack feel better. And the thing is, really, it was only Dean that could have done that because he had been in the same exact situation back in season three. All of season three was Dean's impending death and living life to the fullest and spending every episode. He's like, I'm not going to give a shit because I've only got so many months. <laughs> and Jack facing that same mortality, only Dean, when told, hey, I'm going to go off and do some things, would agree with Jack at that moment. Sam would have been like, no, here's the plan. We're going to do this. We're going to save you. We're going to find a way. And Dean's the guy that's like, all right, grab your grab your coat. Let's go. Yeah. And I love that because it does bring back it, it it ties where we are now to where we've come from in a way that isn't rose-colored glasses nostalgia, but something that our characters have grown up with, have grown with and and been through that comes back into play now in a way that makes sense for their growth. I I loved that. Yeah. That little bit. A part of me felt like they were trying to say something to the audience in a way to um, possibly foreshadow a mindset later in the season or even next year, depending on what their plans are. By the way they handled Jack's Hmm. impending death, when he came face to face with his own mortality, he did it in a way that was very different than we've seen Sam and Dean. Sam and Dean are willing to die for each other without even thinking about it. But that doesn't mean they want to die. They still don't. And that means, and also they've never accepted death. That's the word right there. accepted death. Acceptance. And I feel like there might have been a lesson there that the writers are going to have Sam and Dean learn. And they're going to use this. Yep. This moment. If they're smart, they are. Did you get that idea as well? I did, dude. I, yeah. I didn't want to talk about it, really, because I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. But that, because that is end of series. And honestly, it fits into Ryan's concept. Yeah. Very well. Yes, yes it does. They, You're right. The biggest thing that has kept them always fighting and why they always have to struggle is because they won't accept death. They didn't accept Mary's death. For a while, they didn't accept John's death. They didn't accept each other's ever. 
I mean, even Charlie's back because they can't accept death. Castiel's uh, d- definitive existence is because they don't accept it. Jack is teaching them something that they have yet to learn. And in, yes. in many ways, that's kind of the father-son experience. They teach Jack and Jack teaches them at the same time. Yeah. And the thing is, the, the amount of passion and heart that Eugenie Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner put into these moments in this episode between Dean and Jack has easily been some of the best writing they have ever done on this show. And Without I'm not talking this season. No, I'm talking ever. this show. Ever. Period. No, I agree. It's, I had to, and not, to, I don't want to talk shit about Lemming and Buckner, but I had to double check who the writers were. <laughs> and only because. It, no, it, I'm, it, I'm it laughing, had, but you're, you're right. It had all their go-to markers. Yes. You know, it had a lot of the things they like to do, but this episode was was just superbly put together the the balance of the morose with the high emotions it really worked for what they were trying to do with this episode and the potential foreshadowing of a lesson that hopefully they will use this as a lesson that could be learned uh the, the use of fear once again being used as the i think we can all agree at this point is definitely the theme of the season it just it's so expertly woven into this episode and the whole thing feels sincere and that's that's the most important part right there it doesn't feel like some contrived crap that we've had before i'm not naming names by writers or showrunners we've had some of that though it feels genuine seeing and and again some a lot of that comes from alexander calvert from his fucking performance as jack seeing him want to be like dean reminds us again of where Dean has come from and where he's grown, how he wanted to be like John. And it's really has made going back and watching season one, because that's where we're currently at in the retrospectives and watching this season together really fits very, very well with that father son mentality, seeing them go through that and, and seeing Dean realize so much about his life out at the riverbed there. It was fantastic. Yeah. It made that moment feel so much more real. You know? And what the writing has done, what what the entire team has done with Jack has been fantastic. We were really concerned in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Bringing in this major character. Is it going to be some kind of Lucifer thing? We all, but, but right out the gate, the kid did a fantastic job, both from a writing standpoint, what they did with him. And his performance and what it has meant for not just us as fans and the show's main myth arc, but Sam and Dean as characters, it has given them something that they were never going to have due to their life and due to the way every single person they've cared about's fate has gone. And it gave them a son, somebody who they can pass on, you know, their legacy yeah. to. Yeah, and it works because we have spoken about this before. I don't know if it was on a show or off the air. We, we've spoken about this, about them having kids and passing on that legacy and that can't just end with them. And this was such a creative way, you know, just not speaking about this episode exclusively, just the whole idea of Jack and what they've done with him. And it just has given them a way 
because Jack hasn't distracted from the growth of Sam and Dean. If anything, he's, he's being he's used. It. He's being used. He's someone that they can learn from just as much as they can teach him. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we, we said this a little bit ago where seeing what the, the John Dean relationship being now kind of the Dean Jack, but they're better relationship. Yeah. Is huge. And I think it has pushed their characters in ways that they weren't going to be able to grow before sacrificing themselves to save each other is all well and good, but we've done that for over 10 years. But the only thing that would make them reach a different level, change the dynamic, change that dynamic is if they had someone else that they would sacrifice for. And that being Jack. And you always want to be better for your kid. And that's why I'm really interested to see what they do with him. You know, because he's also someone that can, you know, in the end, that can help them appreciate themselves, help them gain some self-worth, which both of them have very little of. Yeah. So I I think through Jack in the end, they're going to gain a new level of appreciation and respect for not just themselves, but for their parents, which we both know they struggle Mm -hmm. with both of them. And that would be huge with Mary being back in the storyline right now. It'd be now. a great way to bring her back in and, and for Dean to maybe see something in his mother that, you know, because what did he say last two seasons ago? He hated her. He hated her and he loved her. I, we all know. I mean, maybe we, we And the we season before know. that, you know, Chuck calls him out for treating Chuck like he treats John. Don't confuse me with your father. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, it would be huge. And the, the beautiful thing about an episode like this is that everything that has been touched on all the building blocks of emotion can be used later. This is absolutely a building block episode. This, despite being used to push the story forward, this episode, I think will be very much like remembered in some ways to the same degree as baby where you get so much emotion There's so out much of this. To it, yeah. There's so much to this. People will talk about this episode years from now, not just because it's a strong emotional episode or some cool visual effects, which we loved with Lucifer, but it, it it's a huge moment for our protagonists' personal growth, their arc. This is a linchpin touch, touchstone moment. It's a fucking Hallmark moment, (laughs) you know? It really is. It really is. Yeah. No, I agree. This is probably the first official contender that I'll have faith in saying this right now that will probably be on our top five for the R year-end review. It's a front-runner right now. Yeah. Which, on paper, I never would have thought of. Well, we've never added a Eugenie... Uh, Eugenie? Eugenie. We never <laughs> added a, a Ross Lemming or a Buckner episode before to our, our top episodes. I don't think we have. Yeah, I'd have to go back and check. But they've been on it this season. This is their second episode they second wrote. Second episode, yeah. And, uh, man. Well delivering done so some, far. Yeah, they're delivering some great episodes. Really excited to see what they're going to do. Can We're you believe six you're saying that in. right now? You're excited to see what they're going to do. I, I, I don't think we've ever said that. I don't about think you them. have. I don't think any of us have. Yeah, it, it, it makes me think that there's something going on in that writing room. There's something going on <laughs> behind the scenes. How is everybody so on point right what, now? What's going the, on? The fuck drug are you all on? To where you're like, oh, got it now. We're on talent drugs. <laughs> we're on a we're on a talent drug. 
<laughs> They're high on sound. Jesus. Now We stole some from Kripke when he was sleeping. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So, we, we posed as a prostitute in the dark alley. We sucked his off. Sucked off. That's where we got the we hot sucked, girl in the alley scene we from. We sucked off the, his grace. If you if you suck from there, that's how oh. you get some grace and you, you get your talent. Talent from the tap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talent from the tap. That should be a new shirt. Talent from the tap. be actually a tap that no. looks kind of like a penis. Just do it. Sell it only as a mug. Talent from the tap. That's the best. Because you have to drink it then. What am I talking about? Oh, Holy man. shit. Now, anyway, backtracking for, for just a brief moment, the, the, because of how the whole Jack story ended, it started out as looking like things were going to get better, and then Jack gets much, much worse. Castiel calls out Sergey on that one, saying, dude, the fuck? Yeah. I, he, pulling almost a Liam Neeson taken, like, whoever you are, I will find you. Oh, I was scared. I will kill you. You're like, oh, shit. He's he's been watching Liam Neeson movies. <laughs> yeah. But the quite it does beg the question with a character whose entire existence is being a healer and finding balance and answering the unanswerable. He is this mystic unknown entity. Did he really intentionally hurt Jack or was it truly as simple as a eh, it's an experiment, fuck it. Well, if he's about the balance, right? And, and what an did Rowena say? Yep. What did she say? That he doesn't unnatural. belong here. He, it's unnatural power. Maybe he did something on purpose so that it would do away with Jack because he doesn't, he doesn't belong. He's an abomination. So is this going to be something that slowly makes him worse? Is he going to come out of this? Hopefully he doesn't yeah. become the vessel for Abraxas because that'd be terrible. That'd be weak. And they have to put kill your darlings kind of thing. Yeah. No vessels, please. Yeah. And no matter what, whatever, whether it's good or bad, and because you know they can't have that character introduced, Sergey, and just not come back to that. Yeah. That has to play a bigger role. They really talked him up with all his abilities. He's shaman, and, he's amazing, and the catch vouches for him. Because the they could have just used catch. And because they didn't use catch, that immediately makes me think there's something bigger at work. With this guy. With this character. He's involved somehow. And then that the question asked to ask though is does that mean what does that mean for Jack? How long is he going to be down and out? Could they essentially write him out of the series at this point? Could this be a final season for him? Do you think <sighs> this is this? Do you think it's even possible at this point? I, I know it's, I'm torn. I mean, we already complain about characters that never die. Exactly and they why I'm create torn. plot armor and even fan favorite armor where, oh, we love him so much. You could never kill him. And the writers are like, yeah, yeah, we can't. Or we'll find a way to bring him back in a year. Can you actually kill Jack? In a lot of ways, if they do it right this season, he served his point. Right? He served yeah. his purpose. If they, they could get rid of him this season. I don't and, want him to, but I'm saying right. how long can you do Keep this? Keep this going. How long can you do this and it not become a Crowley thing mm -hmm. or a Castiel where it becomes a distraction? I'm not saying Castiel is currently, but in the past. He's absolutely has been in the past. So if we are to avoid that again, he either A, does have to be removed once his story has served its purpose. And they can find creative ways to take him out of the show without killing him. I mean, as we well. talked about leaving him in apocalypse world to, to finish the yeah. fight kind of thing. Yeah. So there are ways they can do it without killing him. 
could this be his final season? I think it's a little too early to tell. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just figured, but, but at the same time, there. I don't want plot fan fiction fan armor, but I kind of want to give him fan armor because I love this character I right I now. I love him too. I, I'm not saying we should get rid of him. I don't right. think he's, no, no, no. I don't no, think I he's think outworn like as welcome by any means. But at the same time, I mean, the show is Sam and Dean, and uh, we have Castiel there, yeah. we have Rowena there, we have Catch there, and um, I would hate for them to overuse jack to the point where we don't care about him or we get annoyed with him well i think you know the story is about sam and dean and i think jack's relationship to dean especially after this episode could be foreshadowing with him being sick and the father-son thing about sacrifices that might be made later by any of the characters with the biggest culprit at the moment being dean with how but with two things a how much he was torn up about Jack being sick, which Castiel and Sam both make direct allusion, direct references to that. He's, he's mixed up about this one because he feels guilty because he couldn't, because he said yes to Michael because, because so many other things, how he treated Jack, which also led to the little bit of the little breadcrumb that was happening with Dean's vision blur and what that means. Yeah, I got a little nervous uh-huh. for a lot of reasons. The first time he experiences something other than the norm, that that vision blur, the audio blur, he's not in his right element, was when, right when Rowena had mentioned Archangel Grace. What? It, it was. So what is that about? Now, the the fan theories, and it happens again later in the episode, the fan theories before with episode two and three have been that Michael's hidden within Dean's vessel. And the fan, the other fan theories that we are more likely to back is that he has done something to Dean as a vessel, changed his body in some way. And I think with that's what you want, right? Because that's what I want. I, I think that makes more sense. I feel like if it fits with everything we've seen, I don't get angry. About a lot of things on this show. I really don't. I love Supernatural. But I think I might get angry if <laughs> if Michael is simply just in Dean. And the reason why. <laughs> so dumb. I actually might like that. So stupid. I The reason why it, aggra- it would aggravate me is because it would represent a disconnect in the writing room. Yeah. Pertaining to continuity. And knowing what has happened before, things that have transpired before, and things that our characters already are privy to. They already know that angels have the ability of being undetected inside of the vessel. We mm-hmm. saw this with Gadriel and Sam. And if they knew that, knew that, then they should have found a way to find out if Michael is hiding in Dean's mind. Just like they did with Crowley mm-hmm. and Sam. When, well, because Crowley, used, a demon can find out. Yes, just like when Crowley went into Sam's mind and 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 urged Sam to wake up from this this fake world that's going on in his mind. To me, you'd feel a little lazy. That's why I I feel like they're leading us down that they want us to think that because right. it's a it's good the it's obvious good, answer. It's, it's the obvious answer. It's a form of mixed direction, which works as a, as uh, when it comes to writing. It's fan. It definitely, without a doubt, does work. 
but it also is just too easy. And I don't think that's going to be what it is. It's I think good. it's more the, cause I agree. I think that's way too easy. He's part, he's part of the change, right? Just like what Michael's I doing think, to the monsters. I think it fits with what we've seen. Michael has changed the monsters, physical bio uh, biochemistry makeup mm-hmm. so that they are different. Jack's body is undergoing changes and he is different. Dean his body has undergone changes and he is different. I think it fits more with what's the word I'm looking for? Not theme. It's a motif, I guess. I'd say motif. Motif. It fits a motif that we have seen change, uh, a perversion of the body. We, that, even, that, we even saw that in mint condition, the perversion yeah. of toys. Like everything's about changing something. The monsters originally changed and are more powerful. The toy and the ghost is more powerful. The flies. The fly creature is about change. Like so much of it fits. And and they have that nesting metaphor that is definitely, in my opinion, going to come back in some way, especially when you look at what they did in that episode and you compare it to what Michael is doing to these monsters. They're toying around with ideas here. And yes, you're I absolutely think that's right. Too motif on the nose is the correct term for it. Yeah. I think that that being a motif so far for the season, that would make more sense. Because if you had a way in which that you, the angel didn't need the biggest problem an angel ever faces truly is getting that vessel that, to say yes. Why wouldn't Michael work that's on a way Ryan's to, biggest problem too. <laughs> Why wouldn't an archangel work towards removing that obstacle? Yeah. Hey, that's a that's a dark thought when you take it out of context as to what mm-hmm. that actually means. But that he's the he's a villain. It would work. Yeah. So I I, th- I think that was definitely a del- that's obviously a deliberate breadcrumb for where we're going. And I'm hoping that with the midseason finale coming up in just two episodes, we'll get some some answers. I think we've we've earned some answers about halfway through you think? the season. We're now, definitely going to have a big old bomb dropped dropped oh, on us before yeah. the midseason. I, I, you sure. know what? Here's the thing, too, dude. I'm really fucking excited because this season has felt very, very focused on where they're going with it. Yeah. Season 12's midseason finale, we were all like, okay, wait, the fucking president? What? Season 13 was better with the multiverse and the split, but it, we didn't really know where we were going until that episode. Here, I feel like we're building towards something big. Now, outside of the writing, we had some great cinematography this week, primarily with Nick and the Lucifer illusions and how well photographed so many of those scenes were. And it was a lot of it was subtle, not as overt and obvious as some other people have used like while we all love the moment where lucifer's in a priest and he walks down the hallway and all the 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 crosses invert wait the lucifer was in a priest or the priest was in lucifer yes okay (laughs) that that would make more sense with with, uh with some contemporary headlines and all the crosses invert we love how that stuff looks are we still talking oh we're talking about that now right right but it's it's some of the more subtle stuff that I think we as film fans yeah. get giddy about. I mean, things like obstructing our view, whether it's – and it's all for Nick's bits where he's chasing something that he doesn't – he can't quite see the end game. He, do, he believes – he knows what he wants at the end. 
But the entire, every time we see him, it's obscured. Yeah. All the, his wide, his introduction shots. What he really wants, he can't see until he's there. And the Dutch angle is used, I think, in this way, in this episode, very, very well. There's a lot of amateur movies, and, and even Supernatural has used it before. A lot of crap uses the Dutch angle, which is when the camera's slightly off to the side, off kilter, to instill that discomfort, and, and it's not natural, it's not right, and it psychologically manipulates you, usually in horror movies. But it's always like with the big, long hallway and we're tracking them and we got the music low and we know something's going to jump out at the character. What I liked in this episode personally, some of my favorite bits was when he's torturing that cop who I can't remember, Kellogg, I can't remember his name. Frank. Frank, thank you. When he's torturing Frank, there's a couple shots that are really, really tight on Nick with Kellogg, Frank, blocking and obscuring part of the view. And it and it gives you this sense of danger, unease, without it being too over the top and in your face that we are in a bad fucking moment. Something terrible is going to happen. It doesn't feel like the big build up like, oh, here it comes. It's more of a subtle, Nick is not right. He is facing some dark shit and be ready for something bad to happen. Each one of those, especially when he goes and grabs the hammer, those scenes in that, those moments in that scene worked well to me. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the cinematography was strengthening a lot of our thoughts that we had throughout the episode with the idea of perverting. Oh, Nick's another great example. Something has changed within his body. Changing. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's all there to strengthen the the subtext. The the visual subtext was spot on this week. And I love when Aladdin share will use these moments from the script to really bring about the visual relevance because that's where the show is still gorgeous Mm -hmm. 14 years going on 14 years the show's still amazing looking but the relevance of the framing isn't always as strong as it was in the earlier seasons yeah but when sergey can find those moments in episodes like these to really drive home points it just shows you how in tune he is with that script and again that strengthens what we're saying about lemming and buckner just writing a fantastic script because Mm -hmm. if we can derive these amount of elements from the script then sergey is going to be able to as well and that's those are the ingredients of a good script if a cinematographer Yes, if a good cinematographer can can read the script and say, okay, I know what you're doing here. Now you're giving me something to work with. I can see it. And yeah, and usually when you have a strong written script, everything else comes together as well. The sound design, the cinematography, the art direction, all of it mm-hmm. works. And the sound design as well was just oh, amazing. Yeah. It was some of the best produced sound moments that we've had in in some time. And every time we had that moment with Lucifer struggling with whatever was happening him the darkness internally, within. the darkness in, in inside of him, it really worked to strengthen that that threat mm-hmm. and 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 raise this the the I don't want to say raise the stakes. I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, but it, it really did work to help convey a thought and a feeling, more importantly. And and not just the abstract stuff like how he felt at that moment, but the actual physical 
events in this episode. The crack of the hammer against Frank's skull and how the, his cry comes to an end it's and so just that, that sickening uh, as he hits him and then he walks over and you got the awkward, the, the off-kilter angle, the music and sound designs building up. We see Frank still alive with blunt force trauma to the head as then Nick is coming up and, and fully going into the drug, what makes him feel good at that point and just beating this poor man to death. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, holy shit. They got away with that. I was impressed. I know. <laughs> like, Amazing. Amazing work. Very, very well done. So I think with that, it's time we get into some final thoughts. Mike, what do you? What are your final thoughts? Any last moments? And what do you give this episode? Um, this episode's an A plus, and um, it's really everything that we supernatural fans want in our shows. We have the mm-hmm. the the high emotions, and not just high emotions for high emotions' sake, but high emotions that actually drive our story forward and not just the immediate episode, but the myth arc and the way that the writers, I love that the writers and Andrew Dabb had faith in Mark Pellegrino as an actor to put the weight of the entire myth arc on his shoulders this week. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm confident that this was in fact a peek into what the big bad or who the big bad will be and to have Mark Pellegrino be that, vehicle to take us there was a reward for us mark pellegrino fans because we know he's a great actor but we've seen him play the same character for so long now and it's not really multi-dimensional he's kind of one i don't want to say he's a one-trick pony he's done great he's, with what they wrote him for he's, he's been not, rounded a little bit but he's still not he's not he's driven. not the most complex right and because of that there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of drive behind his his wants it's very basic, superficial wants. I want power. Right. I want love. I want you to respect me. But that's it. And it's in a nutshell, you can kind of, you can write like a, a one sentence synopsis on who Lucifer has been since season six. Yeah. And a dick. It, yeah. <laughs> and to see Nick play it very differently or Mark Pellegrino play Nick very differently and to see those complicated emotions. I mean, it, it's good. I really enjoyed it. And of course, Jack, we already drove mm-hmm. home that point. Jack is uh, is just an, a, fa- a fantastic addition to the cast. He continues to surprise us with what, or I should say the writers continue to surprise us with what they can do with him and how they use him to bring about so many emotions to the surface for our key characters. Yeah. I mean, this episode's an A plus for me as well. It was... I loved the juxtaposition with human nature of Dean and Jack and Sam and Cass having these human moments, these little moments, as Jack says, it's not all the big, great things that happen in your life, but the little moments and building those relationships and what matters, spending time with each other, that really does make the human experience worth experiencing, living, worth worth it, ultimately in the end. And on the same side of that coin, every other scene, we're seeing the horrible elements of human nature, what is possible, what a person can be driven to do with Nick when loss and grief and anger can take over. I loved that mix. I think Eugenie Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner did a fantastic job balancing that. And 
even the the new world elements such as the shaman and the, em- the return of the empty, which is always cool to see, coming back into play in a way that makes sense, it all fits well together. Nobody felt, and once again, not an ounce of it felt wasted. There wasn't elements like we had in season 13 where like, okay, well, so which of these nine things surrounding Jack the tentpole <laughs> is going to be the main story element? It turns out none of it. Yeah. This is all focused, building on each other, centralized themes, centralized motifs, a general idea of where we're going. And while we had those genuine moments of them eating on the side of the road on top of the car and the horrible, horrible moments of Nick praying to Lucifer of all things, we still also get Supernatural's trademark humor with his face. Father got stabbed and he exploded. Can we go now? <laughs> like, I love it. I, yeah. Every actor brought their A-game the cinematography, the sound design, the special effects, the writing, everything about it is it on all point came together, right? This episode. Yeah. Absolutely. Everything about this episode has come together in a great way to give us, truthfully, a, an, an A-plus episode in every respect. So kudos to the entire team on this episode. And I think you're right, Mike. I think I can easily put this in our top five, or my personal top five for the season so far, and we still have more than half of it to go. As we build to the finale. Yeah. And again, I think we're building to something special here. We've only got two more episodes for the end of the year, for the end mid-season finale. Really looks like we're building towards something good. And I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I mean, more excited than I've been in a little bit. Yeah. So with that, that's going to do it here for Supernatural The Crossroads. We want to thank each and every one of you guys for taking the time to listen to us. Head on over to patreon.com slash Digital where you can get all kinds of additional content where we go on and blather for so many more hours. We literally cannot stop. And we will see you all next time. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.